Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to have you here this uh, this morning. And uh, it's so good to have you here at the Chapel of Warren Valley. For those of you that are here, if you're new, welcome. Uh, We really appreciate your um, being here with us. If you did not get a chance to, right outside the sanctuary to the right is a welcome center Um, there. uh, They have a card. If you would fill that out and let us know of your attendance. They also have a gift we would love to give to you there as well. uh, So we greatly appreciate you being here. If you are also new and or maybe old, uh, just I encourage you to grab the sheets that we get every every Sunday morning. It will list out some key announcements and some of the key things that are happening. On the back as well, it will give you contacts for um, all of the pastors and elders as well. And there is a uh, message uh, for a missions organization, The Vault is on there this this week. Also, I'd encourage you to go to the website, uh, thechapelnj.org thechapelnj.org. You will be able to find some really good information there. And we have Facebook and all of that as well. So uh, follow, uh, get some information. And uh, can I also encourage you on this? Uh, A number of times people have said that I really wish I could go back and watch that sermon again. Well, you can. Um, So uh, we have uh, our YouTube channel, which allows you to watch all of the sermons. If you go to our website, it's got all of the sermons there. Uh, You can detail it by series. Uh, We're coming near the end of the series on Genesis and uh, in the next two weeks, this week and next week, and then we're going to be starting a new series on the Sermon on the Mount, which will be a powerful time as well. Um, Last reminder, I'm going to just encourage you, uh, Adult Bible Fellowship and Sunday School, uh, Sunday mornings, come out an hour before. We start at 9.30 a.m. 9.30 a.m. and we have two adult Sunday school classes and then we have uh, Sunday school classes for the children. I would really encourage you to come spend the 45 minutes to learn and go even deeper into God's Word. Uh, Pastor Doug has got a series working through for the adults. He's got a series working through the book of Romans. Are you going through the whole book or the first eight chapters? We're going through the whole first eight chapters in Romans, getting to my favorite chapter, Romans 8. I've got to figure out how I could sneak over to Doug's class when I'm teaching my own class. Um, And I'm teaching my own class on uh, harmonious living, on relational wisdom, how we learn to manage emotions, manage relationships, and uh, develop those skills. So those are uh, some of the uh, opportunities that you have. And we also have Bible studies and other things throughout the week. Make some connection here. Relationships are so important because God changes us through what? Vital relationships. God changes us through vital relationships. Well, let me read um, Psalm 103, a little bit of it, as we begin. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he leave his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according 
to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over and it is gone, and its place is known no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant, and to remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels. You who mighty ones who do his word, obeying the word of the Lord. Oh, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works and all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning, I pray that we would bless you. The psalmist almost had to encourage him. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he says again, bless the Lord, O my soul. He is reminding himself to bless you. So Lord, I pray that we would bless you. Lord, as, as we hear of the struggles, and it talks about diseases, Lord, uh, you are God who can conquer and you are God who can provide healing. Lord, we pray uh, for a number in our congregation that are struggling right now struggling with health, struggling with uh, difficulties in life, Lord. Uh, Diana Kelly, Father Linda Matthews specifically, uh, these two incredible ladies of our church that are struggling. Lord, I pray that you'd lay your hand upon them, grant wisdom to their doctors, and Lord, I pray you give them strength in their soul. Uh, Father, on a greater level, you heal us of the greatest disease we have, sin. I thank you for the, the work that you've done through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, thank you for drawing us to him. And I pray this morning as we sing, as we pray, as we hear your word preached, help us to have ears to hear, hearts, hearts to be open, to bring honor, glory, and majesty to your name. Help us to bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Who became 
Let's go to prayer. Oh, Lord, truly our souls find rest in you, oh, Lord, for you are our only salvation, our only hope, and you are our rock and our fortress, and we will not be shaken as long as we abide within you. Oh, Lord, help us to remember to pray to you always. Help us to be faithful in our lives and help us to remember how faithful you've been to us. Oh, Lord, from the time of Abraham up to the time of David, 14 generations, you were faithful to those generations. You watched over them and you blessed them and you took care of them. Oh, Father, and from the time of David to the time of the exile in Babylon, 14 generations, you also were faithful to them and watched over them and blessed them. And then, Lord, finally in the Old Testament, the last 14 generations from the Babylonian exile to the time of your arrival as the Messiah, Jesus our Lord, you were also faithful and you also took care of your people and you also loved them with all of your heart. Oh, Father, and even though those people sometimes turn their backs, as we do today on you, and we abound in our own sins, and we fall in desperate straits, you have remained faithful, and you've been faithful to us all these some 2,000 or more years since the time of your resurrection, the time where you spent time on the cross to save us from the penalty of our sins. Oh, Father, I don't know how much we can thank you because there's never enough thanks for what you've done for us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you who answer prayer would continue to answer us with your mighty, righteous deeds and actions and your concerns and love for us. Oh, Father, have mercy on us today. Help us struggle against our sins and our own flesh, Lord, and help us to remember what you've done for us and fill us with your Holy Spirit this day. Heal us of all of our diseases, heal us of our sins, Lord, and help us to remember you each and every day this day. And may we remember always, and may we rely on the goodness of your son, Jesus, and may our souls always rest in his name. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you turn in your Bibles to Genesis 11, verse 26. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, father of both Milcah and Isaac, Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. 
Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make, you your name, make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and the Lord went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram set, traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morat at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. All right, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you. I want you to turn in your Bibles to that text in the book of Genesis, <clears throat> end of chapter 11, and then on into, uh, <clears throat> on into chapter 12. Okay, so Genesis 11, verse 26. So this morning we're going to uh, be concluding our study in the book of Genesis, and uh, we've gone chapters one through the beginning of chapter 12 because that kind of forms this, this unit. Uh, today we end our focus on the, on the man whose name is Abraham. Now if you were to drive through any urban area in America today, uh, you would find buildings, some are called mosques, some are called synagogues, and some are called churches. They're important to Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And what you would learn is that Abraham, the individual that we will look at today, play, play, holds in a place of importance in each one of these world religions. And uh, <clears throat> the text that we're looking at today really points out what made Abraham unique in his age and in his generation. Uh, Abraham ultimately and finally under the call of God takes a stand against the polytheism that was present in that age uh, and is a man who worships God alone. Takes a stand against his culture, takes a stand for and in some cases against his family, uh, but he stood alone. And the question that we need to face this morning, kind of answer this morning is, what is it that made Abraham great? Right? And if you're familiar with the, the overall flow of scripture, you know that it is the faith of Abraham that set him apart from his generation. The backstory to Abraham is found in the portion that Steve read to us, uh, the last portion of chapter 11, 27, down through verse 32. Uh, as you've worked your way through the book of Genesis in our studies, we've seen that there are bright spots, and then there are very dark uh, seasons, right? We find in Genesis chapter 4 uh, with the birth of Seth that at that time people called upon the name of the Lord, and then that high point is followed by this digression into the time of the flood and ultimately the destruction of the world at that time. Uh, 
In Genesis 11, we find a, a new line, the line of Shem. So you go from the line of Seth to the line of Shem, and this is the chosen people of God. And, and we find that that season ends in the debacle of Babel, right? That time when men decided that we're going to make a name for ourselves. We will become prominent and significant on our own. And we find that that ends in tragedy once again. When you come to the end of chapter 11, you find these uh, words about a man named Terah. He is really the last one in the promised line, the last one in the line of hope for the nation and for the people of God. He is a son named Abraham. And they live in a place called Ur. Ur is a stable place, it is an advanced place, but it is also a pagan place. And into this last vestige, this last portion of the line that God had promised, you find that they have slipped into the paganism of their era. They have slipped into a pagan lifestyle, they're worshiping the moon god, which was what was prominent in the land of Ur. And you see as you read through their names, if you do a little study into the name of Sarah and Moloch and into the name of Terah, that there are these vestiges of paganism that have crept into this line of hope and the line of promise. Joshua 24.2 tells us that Terah, Nahor, and Abraham served other gods when they lived in the area of Ur. So these people that knew truth about God had seen that faith in God, that allegiance to God, contaminated by other desires. This, this culture of paganism had, in, had seeped into the promised line. And the end result is this. The chosen line is a moral mess. They are spiraling downward, there is compromise, and there is... Very little hope. And it's fascinating that when you read verse 30, that brings you to the end of this discussion about the, the final line of Adam Shem, you find this statement. It says, now Sarah was barren. And Sarah is the wife of Abraham. It says she is barren and she had no child. Right now, in our culture, the idea of barrenness certainly has some degree of sadness and sorrow to it, but the significance of that in the ancient times was amazing, right? Your, your future as a family, your culture all rested on the next generation, right? And so this text is interesting because it says that Sarah was barren and had no child. So there's kind of this emphatic emphasis that's given here that she's not only barren, but also that she has no child, which means this for the line of promise. It means there is no foreseeable future and no power to create a future. So from a human perspective, the line of promise has narrowed down to these few individuals and the one who would carry on the name, ultimately Sarah, is barren and unable to have children. And then you find this divine intervention, right? So you find this, you're kind of going downhill, you have this prominent figure named Abraham, but there's this sense of hopelessness that is emphasized by that last statement. And then when you get to verse 31 and 32, you find the divine intervention. 
right? You find this beginning of a move, of a, of a, of a call from God. There's a call for the family to leave the Ur of Chaldees and go to Canaan. And they do that, but you find in the middle of this progression as they move from the area of Ur, of the Chaldeans into the land of Canaan, it says when they came, this is in verse 32, when they came to Haran, they settled there, and the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So the family is, has heard a call from God, Acts chapter 7 will affirm this, but they only go part way. They leave Ur, they come to the place of Haran, and for some reason, the journey to the land of Canaan stalls. They're, they're, perhaps there's some breaking of faith, some weakness of faith, but they, they start to make the journey. They get to Haran, which as we know from historical records is a prominent place. It's a wealthy place. It's a good place to settle and live. And it appears that that good land and that pro likely prosperity, we're not sure exactly, but it seems like those things have kind of put a pause in this migration of obedience to the call of God. So when you get to chapter 12 and verse 1, you find this new section that launches out. And here's what it says. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go up from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So what do you have? You have a, 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 this, the people of God narrows down to something that is relatively hopeless. God calls them to a new location. They begin to go there. They stall in the journey. They get sidetracked. And now there's this divine intervention. One of the things I want you to see as we move into this section is this. God is the one that takes the initiative to deliver his people. Right? It's not that they're saying, God, come help us. It's that God intervenes to protect his purpose and his plan for his people. So you find this divine intervention. And then 12-1, God intervenes with Abraham, and he calls him to something amazing. He calls him to a step that will require substantial faith. And I want you to look with me this morning. We're going to look at the call, at the risks that are involved in the call, and at the promises that God is giving to Abraham. Okay, because he, we know from the New Testament uh, the book of Galatians says that Abraham is the believer. He is the epitome of what it means ultimately to be a man who loves and follows God. That despite his past, because in the book of Acts chapter 7, you'll find that Abram was compromised in his faith. The worship that Terah was giving to the gods of Abraham was a participant in that. That becomes very clear in the book of Acts and also in Judges chapter 24 and verse 2. There is this idea of compromise within the chosen line that has caused them to drift into a bad place. So here we find this call to Abraham, this game-changing chapter in the book of Genesis. So what are the challenges to steps of faith in our lives? And we're going to learn those, those challenges by looking at the life of Abraham. First of all, with Abraham, we see the call to follow, right? And so 
Verse one of chapter 12 says, now the Lord said to Abraham, and one of the things that you understand from this introduction is that it is clear to Abraham who is speaking to him. All right, whatever this encounter was like, we don't know it was, if it was visible. We're not, we don't know any details about it. The important thing is this, God delivers a message to his man. And that message involves a call, it involves risk, and it involves promises. Okay, so first let's look at the call to follow. The Lord said to Abraham, go up from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So the first thing we see is this call. If you're familiar with the King James translation of this text, you find that probably the clear emphasis of this text is borne out. King James Version says this, Abraham, get thee out. Okay, and the, the, it, it kind of captures better, really, the original statement. Go yourself and get out. So what is it? There is in that call from God something radical. There is a sense of urgency from God as he cries out to Abraham. Keep in mind the backstory. Paganism keeps seeping into the line that God has called. The Sethites fall in, in, in the flood and the Shemites struggle coming out of Babel, right? There's this constant tendency on the part of the people of God to get caught in the compromise of their age. And God says to Abraham, you need to make a clean break and you need to complete the journey that it called your family to begin, leaving Ur, going up through Haran and down into the land of Canaan. So there is a, 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 a strength to this call. And God is impressing on Abraham that the steps of obedience that God calls us to are first personal. Where you gotta begin to make decisions in your own heart without taking a poll of what people around you think of what God wants in your life. And God says to Abraham, go yourself, get thee out. Don't hold a meeting to decide if you should obey the clear word from God. And I think this for Abraham is, Abraham is a clear call to leave his former way of life, to leave what he got enmeshed in in the land of Ur, to have a clean break. The call of God aims to shape your life. And one of the things that I think is abundantly clear is you look at, at this call of God on Abraham, you understand that the call of God on Abraham's life is an act of grace, right? Who is he? Well, Joshua 24 is gonna tell you that he's a man that was involved in pagan worship. And as you read through the rest of his life, you're gonna find he's a man who struggles with obedience. His life is not pristine and clean. And at one level, you should be thankful for that, okay? Because you realize that Abraham is someone just like you with the same tendencies and weaknesses that you and I have, but the call of God came on his life as an act of grace from God, and Abraham gave the right kind of response to that call of God. The call of God on Abraham is to get thee up, you and your kindred, and go from your father's house. 
and from your kindred, from your extended family, leave the safety net that you have and follow me. Right, that's the call of God on Abraham's life. It is a call to abandon all relational and socioeconomic ties. It is to sever the conventional means of security and guarantees in the ancient world. It's hard for us to grasp this, okay? I, I left Harleysville, Pennsylvania and moved to Washington, New Jersey, okay? I, I, at one level, what happened? Well, I, I left a, a family business, an opportunity there to do what I believe God was calling us to do. I did not, in that move, leave, sever ties from my family. I maintain relationships with my family. There is a bit of a safety net that was there from the beginning in that step of obedience, right? For Abraham, there was no recourse. There was no safety net in the ancient world to, to leave your kindred, to leave your family and their land was to put yourself completely at risk. So for Abraham, this is a, 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 a stunning call to follow God. And I think we need to stop and think about that. Does the call of God, the will of God, is that the main shaping influence of your life? You know, sometimes we, we kind of get weak in our understanding of responding to the call of God, right? Sometimes we want to intimate to people that you can, you can maintain all kinds of lifestyles and still be a child of God. And I would argue from this text that the call of God in this text for Abraham, it, it is a life-shaping call. And there's one sense that we, in which we need to reckon with the fact that if the call of God is not shaping my life, then have I really responded to the call of God? It's a strong call, it's a radical call. Abraham, get thee out, leave everything behind, and go to the place that I will show you, trust me. He calls him to the, this, this amazing place. I think it's why in the book of James, James will testing out, sounding out whether someone's belief and trust in Jesus is genuine. He'll ask the question or he'll make the observation. Let me say it that way. Faith without works is dead. If you say you've heard the call of God, but the call of God has not yielded in transformation in your life. You need to re-examine whether or not you have heard the call of God, right? For Abraham, he heard the call and his response was immediate and wholehearted at this point in his life. And I believe it is this point, at this point in his life, that he's placing this strength of faith and trust in God in this season at this time. So there's the call to follow. And then secondly, there are the risks associated. Okay, so you find the call to follow its strength. Get thee out, and then you see the risk associated with the call. And, and, and I'll just make this kind of summary statement. Faith takes steps of obedience despite overwhelming odds. And there's two things that happen in this text. There's the cost, that is to leave your family, to leave the land for a land that I will show you. God doesn't tell Abraham where he's going. He says, Abraham, my call to you is to leave your place of security and to trust me with the outcome, with the destination. 
Now it's interesting because Abraham is 75 years old. Abraham is likely secure and settled, wealthy and influential. The text talks about proselytes, those that he has acquired. When he gets into the promised land later, we're going to find out that his his uh, kind of group of people that are migrating compromises, uh, comprises upwards of 400 people. So he's, 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 he's not a man lacking influence. He's not a man lacking wealth and substance and a good place to live. He doesn't need a better place. But God calls him out of his comfort zone. God calls him to abandon his conventional ties, his conventional places of blessing and security. It reminds me a little bit of the call of Jesus when he says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's something radical about the call of God when it comes into an individual's life that leads to serious change. And despite the cost, what does Abraham do? He gets up and he follows God. He's responsive to the direction that God is giving him. So the first risk associated is the cost. The second risk is the unknowns. Look at verse two. It says, you get up, you go to the land that I will show you. And notice, not, he, he doesn't tell him where it is, but he's going to show it to him when he gets there. And then he says, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. Now, is there a verse back in chapter 11 that's hanging in your mind. God says, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. You're going to have a whole lot of offspring. What's the problem? What's the unknown? The unknown is how do I, with a barren wife, end up becoming the father of a great nation? Right? That's the tension of the text. And God's calling Abraham to trust him. But the key tension in verse 30 is Sarah is barren, had no child, and it's in, in the emphatic. It's a diagnosis. There are no clinics to go to. It is not a reversible condition. And you got, yet God makes a promise to Abraham that is amazing. The second unknown is this. Abraham is aging. He's 75 years old. In 25 years, they will make the observation that his body being as good as dead in relationship to childbearing. All right, so there's this unknown tension that is building for Abraham that he has to address. God promises a future to Abraham, but Abraham, from a human perspective, has no foreseeable future. God's saying, Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And Abraham's like... I accept that from you, but I have no proof of that in my experience. In fact, I have evidence to the contrary of what you're saying to me. So I begin to realize that the step that Abraham takes of faith and trust as God is a deep level of trust. God promises a future for Abraham, but he has no foreseeable future. And this is the challenge of obedience. When the call of God and the promise of God don't align with my current circumstance. When my current situation looks very different than what God has promised, that becomes a source of deep struggle. 
So Abraham had to believe God, to take God at his word without tangible assurances. And then verse four tells us how he responds. Verse four says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And and, and just tuck this into your thinking. He went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Keeping in mind that in verse one, he says, get up from your kindred and go, leave everybody else behind. Okay, and it becomes interesting. So verse four tells us of Abraham's step of faith, right? God gives him a call, wrapped up in that call are things that are unbelievable from a human perspective, and yet Abraham steps out in obedience. Steps of faith are acts of obedience in response to God's clear directives when we cannot be assured of the outcome, okay? So a step of faith is an act of obedience when I'm not assured of the outcome. That is, I am trusting God with where this goes, with where this moves. But Abraham gets up and he goes. John Calvin, talking about this text, reflects on what God is saying to Abraham. And he puts it in these terms. He says, God is saying to Abraham, close your eyes and take my hand. Close your eyes, Abraham, and take my hand and go to the land that I will show you. And when you do, I will make you into a great nation. And what does Abraham lack? He lacks assurances. What does he have? He has evidence to the contrary. But he still reckons with what that means and follows God. To the land that I will show you, Israel, who is the recipient of this letter, would learn from this text that their experience was by God's choice of one man who responded in faith despite the risk and the unknowns. And where is Israel? They're preparing to leave the land of Egypt. And they need to trust God who called their father Abraham in the same way they need to trust God and in the Exodus, follow him out of the Exodus. And it informs Israel what their relationship with God is like. Now, let me go back to that little statement in verse four, that Abraham left and that he took Lot with him, right? That's what we see in, the, in verses four and five. Can I, can I just speculate something here? God told Abraham, get up from your family and your kindred and go, leave everybody else behind. Abraham leaves and he takes with him Lot. Why does Abraham do that? Can I, can I venture a guess? I think there is in Abraham a Despite his great faith, there is this residue of pragmatism, right? So if if, if it doesn't work out with the children, then Lot can be my heir. He's my nephew after all, right? And so Lot could serve as the heir and help to fulfill the promise. So even though Abraham is stepping out in super respectable faith, there is also this residue of pragmatism. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that true for all of us? Right? We, 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 we want to obey God. We're, we want to be people that trust God, and largely we do, but we have this residue of pragmatism. Right? So, so, and, and it's interesting that that's noted in the text. 
It reminds me of what the book of Proverbs says in chapter three. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Folks, you know what happens with Lot and Abraham? Lot becomes a thorn in Abraham's side. <laughs> right? he, he becomes perpetually the problem child who was not Abraham's responsibility because he was not Abraham's child, but he is his nephew. And when Lot compromises, Abraham's life is deeply affected by it. Right, so you, so you see Abraham steps out in faith. He has this small portion of compromise in his life and that haunts him till it's dealt with, okay? We understand why Abraham does that. It's, it's rational. It makes sense, but it is not of faith, okay? It's of human logic, thinking, and justification. So how does this apply to us? God says to Abraham, go. Abraham, Abraham had to let go of in order to embrace. Abraham had to empty himself in order to be filled with the promises that God was making to him. He had to believe God for the impossible. So can I ask you this morning, what clear step of obedience is God calling you to? And you're, you're wrestling with the cost of that decision. You're wrestling with the unknowns that are related that, to that decision. You know it's something God has called you to do. But it's causing fear and it may be costly. Perhaps you're, perhaps you're in a place of being single. You're desirous of a mate. You, you know that God's truth is that you should only be marrying someone who is a believer. But you begin to doubt. You wonder if it will happen and you're tempted to settle for less. Follow God in faith. Maybe it's in relationship to your finances, right? You hear the call of God to be generous, to be a giving person, to follow biblical directives about giving, but you, 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 you're stressed over your finances, and so you're, you're wrestling with what it is to trust God, to have faith in God, and to release a portion of what he gives you to be of assistance and help to others and to the work of his church. Maybe you need to take a step of faith there. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a teenager and you're facing a moral challenge in your life and God is calling you to trust him, to believe him, to act in faith and to do the right thing, to take the stand that he wants you to take. Maybe in your workplace, you've been asked to compromise and truth may cost you. A person of faith chooses truth and says, God, I'm gonna do the right thing. I'm gonna leave the results in your hands because that's ultimately what Abraham does. Abraham severs all the ties of stability and says, God, as I walk towards the land of Canaan, I'm at your disposal. I have to trust you. I need to see you work. It takes a lot of courage to step into the unknown in that kind of a way. I was, as I was studying this text, I was thinking about how our church started, right? There was a man here before I was here. His name was John George. He prayed and believed that God had called him to come to the town of Washington, New Jersey to start a church. And he came, I, he came without any financial support, without any assurances, with no safety net, because he believed it's what God wanted him to do. Can I tell you something? As I've, as, when I reflect back on that, I think that, that's a step of faith that I don't believe I would have ever taken. But he was convinced that God wanted a church in this area. 
He wanted a representation of his body in this area, and John George stepped out. And when I tell you a man, a modest person, Tim, you remember John George very well, a modest man who just simply took God at his word. And, and is he a big, successful pastor? Honestly, none of us are. But John George just, just believed that God wanted this to happen, and he came here and did this. And I thank God for that example. That step of faith that stepped out without all of the typical things that people want when they plant churches today. But God used his step of faith to do something amazing, and I'm so, so grateful for that, for his example of faith. Well, the text then moves on from the call and the potential risk to the promises. All right, and this is a very beautiful part of this text. So verses one to three, and I'm just I'm gonna unpack these a little more. It says, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all nations of the earth will be blessed. Okay, there's three primary promises in this text. There's a land, the land of Palestine, where Israel is this day, right? There is the seed, that is the nation of Israel, and then there is all nations. Okay, and I want you to see that there's this, there's a progression in these promises. The first one relates to the land, and God says to Abraham, it is a land that I will show you. Abraham has to receive that by faith, that God has a place for him, and that it will be an acceptable place and a good place. Abraham believes God. Secondly, the text talks about Abraham's seed. And I will make of you a great nation. Now just, just stop and think about what God says about Sarah, Abraham's wife, right? What is this promise doing? It's counteracting the barrenness of Sarah. It is an absolute contrast to fact. Sarah is barren. I will make of you a great nation, Abraham. The promises of what? Of a phenomenal amount of offspring, a great nation. And he says, and I will make your name great. You will be well known. Now remember what I said to you at the beginning. Three major religions have some level of connection to a man named Abraham. His importance is super high. I think it's most estimates, a majority of the world's population has some level of understanding of who Abraham is. That's an amazing, amazing fact. And it's proof that God keeps his word. I will make your name great. I will give you this land. You will be a great nation despite the barrenness of your wife. And this is, I just think God's saying to Abraham, Abraham, you are gonna have to trust me. What I'm saying to you is contrary to fact, contrary to experience, contrary to reality, but trust me. And that's the step of faith that God calls him to. So there is this idea of a primary beneficiary of the promises, right? And that's the people of Israel and the land of Israel. But then he, God speaks further, and it's, it's amazing in verse 3. 
He talks about ultimate beneficiaries, meaning what God is doing for the primary beneficiary has a larger picture in mind. There is more to what God is doing than what you see God doing in a nation. Right? And watch what he says. Verse 2, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and this, those that dishonor me, I will curse. And in you, and that's by means of, Abraham is the instrument, in you all nations of the earth will be blessed. So that's why when, when I, 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 I struggle for words, right? You have primary beneficiaries, that, that immediate locus of the people of God, the nation of Israel. But then you have God going global with this promise to Abraham. So Abraham's thinking, I can't have a child. And you're promising me a great nation and a great name. That, that implies that there will be magnitude to my offspring that I don't see. And then you're saying that that blessing will go to all nations. That's mind-blowing. And Abraham's response is a simple response of faith. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, reflect on this exact passage of Scripture. Okay, listen to what it says. It says, Scripture, that is the Old Testament Scriptures in Paul's way of thinking. Scripture, seeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, as he did Abraham, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, so what's the gospel? All nations will be blessed in you. And then verse nine, he clarifies. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing that Abraham received by faith. Folks, what does that mean? It means that when God was making promises to Abraham, he was also making promises to the church of Christ, to everyone who would believe, because he calls the promise to Abraham, in you all nations of the earth will be blessed. He calls that statement from God preaching the gospel. Isn't that amazing? So the ultimate seed of Abraham we find in Galatians is the person of Christ, and it's through Christ that the blessing of Abraham goes to the whole world as we see in the Great Commission, and as we see in the ministry of Jesus. The blessing that God is describing here is ultimately salvation. It starts with Abraham's house, his family, his nation, and extends to the world. Isn't that an amazing thought? By Abraham's simple step of faith, taking God at his word, when it's contrary to fact, requires severing all family ties, all assurances. It requires closing his eyes and taking the hand of God. Abraham says, God, I trust you. Yeah, I know my wife is barren, but I have no idea how you're going to work that out. And later you'll find that he tries to find ways to make it happen. And God says, no, no, Abraham, I know you're scared. I know you think it can't happen. But I will keep my promises. Folks, God has called us to live with a stunning degree of faith and trust. He calls us to close our eyes and take his hand. And I don't, like, I, 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 as I'm thinking through this text, I'm thinking, when you come this morning, you talk about this kind of faith. 
yes, what's happening in Abraham's life is monumental. It's earth shaking. It's history changing. That when he took God at his word, everything changed. And I think sometimes we tend to get daunted by that, right? Because none of us are likely to face a decision, a call from God and a decision of such far-reaching consequence. And yet I have these little areas in my life where I can take the faith of Abraham and put it into practice, where I can close my eyes and take the hand of God and say, God, I trust you. I trust you. So can I ask you this morning a simple question? If all of this started with a radical call from God to Abraham, where he plucks him out of paganism. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. The part that for me, studying through Abraham's life this week, actually the last two weeks, the thing that stunned me is when you go to Acts chapter 7, Abraham was a worshiper of idols. He was practicing polytheism. Worshiping many gods. And God reached in, apart from any transformation in Abraham's life, apart from any reformation in Abraham's life, apart from any assurances in Abraham's life, he reaches in and saves Abraham, you're my man. Undeserving. A decision of grace and favor, God selects Abraham. God takes the initiative. And he plucks a man from paganism and makes him a man of faith. So my question to you this morning is, have you heard his call? Have you you come on a regular basis? You hear the word of God. Have you heard his call? Have you responded in simple faith saying, God, I am a sinner broken. Your promise to change my life is contrary to fact. I know the person I am, and I don't believe I can become the person you want me to be. But by your grace, change my heart. Let your radical call change me. Can you imagine? God says, Abraham, you, I want you. Abraham knows who he is. They have... They have residue of worshiping God, worshiping Yahweh in their mind, and they're, they're caught in this, in this life of compromise and brokenness and hopelessness. His wife is barren. And the line appears that it will come to an end, but God reaches in. And God rescues someone who takes him at his word and changes his life and gives him a great name. Isn't it interesting when you think, he says, Abraham, I'll make your name great. What happened to chapter 11 that Doug preached last week? They said, let us build a tower and make a great name for ourselves. And God takes a humble man named Abraham and says, I'll make your name great. Verse 7 is interesting. It says, then the Lord appeared to Abram. When he gets into the land of Canaan, not before, (laughs) when he gets into the land, he says, to your offspring, I will give this land, not a land now that I will show you, but a land that you have seen, I will give it to you, Abraham. It is your permanent possession. I will give it to you. 
And what's Abraham's response? Abraham's response is this. He builds an altar for the name of God who had called him. And that, what's the purpose of an altar? The purpose of an altar is to give sacrifices to God and to proclaim the faithfulness of that God. And when Abraham experiences this, the blessing of God in response to the undeserved call of God, he responds by worship and proclamation. Folks, that's what God desires from us. That when we know that we have been called and that God has changed our life and given us a future, we have the privilege of saying, praise his name. And we have the privilege of worshiping him. And that's what Abraham does in this moment in the land that God is giving to him. God confers his promises and Abraham responds in worship. Second principle this morning. God's blessing prompts worship. Secondly, the school of faith is always open. Folks, listen. We all go through fits and starts, don't we? We go through times when our trust in God is strong. And then we go through times when our, 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 where our faith and trust in God is challenged. And we, we struggle to be true. We struggle to be honorable. Abraham had the same struggle. And yet the book of Galatians tells me he is called Abraham the believer, the man of faith. And Hebrews 11 will pick up this story of Abraham and it'll say, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, went to a place that he was to receive. He went without knowing where he was going. So what is faith? Faith is to take God at his word despite evidence to the contrary. It's to close my eyes and take his hand and say, God, take me where you want me to go. The school of faith is always open. Abraham went through <laughs> seasons of amazing, this is a season of amazing faith, but then he's going to doubt the promise of God and he's going to cycle like we do, but God is constantly going to be working in his life so that at the end of the day, he is a man of faith, a man who trusts God and knows God. The school of faith is always open. And then the last thought I'll share with you is from verse 6. It says, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, which will become very important when you get to Joshua and uh, the, the time of the Exodus. He came to the, he passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. At that time, there were Canaanites in the land. Now, that, that drops in eerily like Sarah, his wife, was barren doesn't it? Abraham gets there and it's everything that God had promised. But the road of faith is not free from obstacles. And, and the Canaanites, if, if I was just going to use a, a simple word to understand who they are in, in the biblical story, they're the antagonists. Right? So Israel is the faithful people of God with a, a rightful inheritance from God in that land. God who created it has the right to give it to them. And he does. And when Abraham gets there, it's not free from challenge. He gets there and he, he worships God. He thanks God for it. But there's also this acknowledgement in the record that the road of faith is not free from obstacles. The Canaanites are there. So what do we do? 
What do we do when we walk in obedience to God and we run into obstacles on the road of faith and obedience? How do you respond to that? One writer put it this way. He, says, he said, faith faces facts, obstacles, without being discouraged by them because we know that God is greater than our problems. Faith faces the facts. It sees that there are obstacles. But it is not discouraged by them because we know that God is greater than our problems. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. A Christian lives conscious of the promises of God, claiming the promises of God. We don't ignore the obstacles that are around us. We acknowledge them. We, we, we understand that they're there, but we're resting and trusting in God despite those persistent obstacles. Our job is not to fret about the future but to submit to the call of God's word and trust that he will lead us where he wants us to be. That's from Paul Tripp. Our job is not to fret about the future, but to submit to the call of God. So, so Abraham has circumstances that threaten his future. Instead, he submits to the call of God's word and trusts that he will lead him where he wants him to go. Folks, that's why Abraham becomes an example of faith for us. He hears the call of God. He understands that it is contrary to fact, contrary to what's right in front of him. But he sees what's in front of him in light of the promise of God and says, God, I'm going to trust you. So the question for you this morning is, have you trusted Christ? Have you responded to the ultimate seed of Abraham in Jesus? And by faith said yes to God. Have you heard his call? That calls for you to leave, to go, to get the out. Will you say, God, I trust you. I believe you. Forgive me and rescue me. And maybe in your Christian life, maybe you're in a season where you're, you're contemplating a step that would clearly take you outside of the land that God has called you to. And you're wrestling. Thank God you're wrestling. Will you close your eyes and take God's hand and say, God, I want you to lead me. I want to rest in your goodness. I want to rest in your promises. I want to believe that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And just like Abraham had to, he had to look at this simple statement. Sarah, his wife, was barren. And he'd say, okay, God, that's a fact in my life. I want to live despite that fact. Following you. And not letting the obstacle, the risk, the unknown keep me from a life of faith and the blessings that come from God through it. May God help us to trust him. Father, as we conclude in your word this morning, it's a powerful text. It's central to what you're doing through your people, Israel, and ultimately all nations. It tells us how it all began. It tells us the importance of trusting you. And so, Lord, this morning we recognize that all of us Along the way, along this road, face obstacles. We face risk. We reckon with cost of full obedience. God, help us to walk by faith. Help us to trust you. 
to fulfill all of your promises that you have made and given into our lives. Make us, like Abraham, the believer who trusts God and honors him. We ask these blessings in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen, amen.
Can you have a seat for a moment? In Psalm 139, verse 13, it says this, For you have formed my inward parts. You've knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Uh, today is the 40th anniversary of President Reagan signing the Sanctity of Life Sunday. It's on that day that he wanted to remind us, uh, year after year, the preciousness of human life. And today we stand with churches around this world that are professing the sanctity of life from beginning uh, to end. Uh, we partner with a ministry here in Warren County, CareNet. Um, there are many ministries around this world that uh, support life. So today, as you leave here, we've had the opportunity to hear of a uh, work that God has done through Abraham and how he's done a work through you. Uh, we also want to glory in the fact that God is a God of life and he gives life and he wants us to protect life and uh, give us opportunities to connect with ministries like CareNet as well. And remember this Sunday, life is so essential. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that there are people here that are connected with uh, life ministries, ministries that want to protect the life in a womb. Father, it's amazing to me that even before that baby is in the womb, you have already stamped your plan and your image upon them. So Lord, I praise you for that. Uh, Father, uh, many have been lost uh, through the um, sin of abortion uh, that has plagued our world and this nation. I thank you for ministries like CareNet that uh, want to protect life. For those that are here that have uh, maybe made that decision in the past and they're grieving over it, Father, I pray that you would remind them that you're a God of grace, that you can forgive them and set them free. Father, as a church, help us to war against this sin but help us to point people to the only freedom that they have in the cross. I thank you for calling uh, Abram from Ur of the Chaldeans. I thank you for calling him like you've called us. So Father, help us to go out in his boldness into a world that is just as dark and uh, reflect your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a blessed Sunday.